Good morning, everyone. This is Spin Class. We're talking politics. I'm your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, and around the world on Arut Sheva, Israel National News slash radio. And here with a brief post-Yom Kippur, pre-Sukkot, post-second debate, post-unspeakable revelations in this 2016 presidential race. But the question is kind of why have a show? Why talk about it if it's unspeakable and you don't want to deal with it and you don't want to just touch the subject? Well, I thought about it, of course, and what I wanted to say is after, you know, Yom Kippur, 25 hours of really unplugging and not paying attention, I said to myself, I'm not going to think about the presidential race. No Trump, no Clinton. No Gary Johnson, no Evan McMullen, Jill Stein. I didn't want to think about her for the duration of Yom Kippur. But, of course, that leads you, of course, to thinking about it. The more you want to put something out of your mind, you end up thinking about it. And you unplug, and then you come back in, as you know, we're want to do once a week on Shabbos. Of course, Yom Kippur, you're supposed to have a different mind frame. You know, it's not like you're sitting around the table and you're thinking and you're discussing politics or you're discussing with anybody else. You know, it's kind of inappropriate to talk about Donald Trump and his various scandals or Hillary Clinton and her various scandals on Yom Kippur. So, of course, I didn't talk about it, and I tried not to think about it. The more I tried not to think about it, the more I thought about it. Not a lot, but, you know, I, I, davened, uh, I davened early, so there was a substantial break. Uh, you daven with the sunrise sometimes, uh, as I did yesterday. And has been my custom for the last couple of years. And uh, so I had some time. And in thinking about this race, uh, it's distressing. It's not just distressing for the country. Um, that second debate was, I think, a new low in politics. Um, yes, I believe that Donald Trump won the debate. He just won the debate by sheer force. I felt that Hillary Clinton brought a knife to a gunfight, to borrow a term from the untouchables. She just decided that she wasn't going to try and overmatch him, just kind of let him let him go. And, you know, he, he kind of he kind of powered through the debate. He was like a tank and she was just infantry. Uh, now, that might have been a strategy on her part uh, because it seems to be borne out by the polls. The polls have been very favorable to Clinton. And have been very unfavorable to Trump. Now, part of that, of course, is the regarding his sexual or claims of sexual assault scandal. And I, I don't want to use the words or overuse the words here on the show. Um, locker room talk, locker room banter. I don't buy it. I don't like it. I don't feel that that is maybe I'm naive about it. But I don't know that anybody ever talks about forcibly doing anything towards another human being in that realm in the locker room. It's just not something that people brag about from my point of view. Um, it just, it's one step short of actual, of actual rape. And I just think it's just not, it's just not something that people do. Uh, now maybe he did, maybe he didn't do it in actual practice. Maybe it was just talk. Although there seem to be a lot of women coming forward now to refruit him. And, but let's, you know, his non-apology I think, yes, he apologized, but he apologized kind of in a way that really wasn't an apology and then goes on tour as, as he does with the big crowds and with his uh, 
team of apologists, Rudy Giuliani, Chris Christie, uh, Boris Epstein, uh, and others out there. And, and they just kind of, well, you know, it's 11 years ago. It's not a big deal. Who cares? Nobody's paying attention to that. And let's move on. Let's talk about the issues. Now, I buy the idea of talking about the issues. I'd love talking about the issues. If anything, this last debate was was non-issue. We didn't talk about – I mean the issues that got talked about were, were just – were breathtaking in the fact that we didn't really get into them. I mean I think Donald Trump had an Aleppo moment. They pressed him on Aleppo. He decided he was going to talk about Mosul as if he just doesn't get the whole Syria conflict. He didn't seem to know – you know, the whole idea that Russia is actually not fighting ISIS in Syria. They are fighting for the Syrian regime. ISIS is not in Aleppo, but Russia is bombing Aleppo. What do you do about the humanitarian crisis there? He didn't want to say. I thought Clinton just came across as just trying to disengage. Let's play out the clock. Four corners offense. And for those of you who are not familiar with the reference, the four corners offense was basically before the advent of the shot clock in basketball. You would go ahead and run out the clock by just throwing the ball around on the perimeter and not necessarily trying to score. I thought that was Clinton. But what's most troubling here, and, and again, again, the Russia question. Again, nobody wants to deal with the Russia question. Nobody on the Republican side really wants to deal with this troubling, extremely troubling idea of – Trump and Putin and just what is going on there, the denial of the hacking. Now, it's come out, I mean, of course, that he had just – that Trump had just had a briefing from the national security team. And clearly in that briefing, there would have been discussion of Russian hacking because the administration – or not the administration, the intelligence community in this country has – determined that Russia is behind the hacking of DNC emails. Now, whether or not it's influenced the election or whether or not they just do that on a regular basis, I don't know what the motivations are. But the continual denial of that when he's being presented with nonpartisan facts is a little bit tro- – well, it's actually a lot troubling from my perspective. And I think this is what has bothered me. I've come to this – this came to me – Over the last day when I thought about it, the troubling part here is – and I I said this, I think, uh, with with Nahum uh, last week when we talked about the race, is that there is a reality for Trump supporters and then there seems to be a reality for the rest of the world. And this is not healthy for our body politic. This is not healthy for our country. We're headed in a direction where – one side is not either not willing, not able – it's hard to understand what it is, but just not able to acknowledge the reality of public or where the public is. And when they're going to have some – or the polls or just who's winning and who's losing. Now, there could be some huge surprise, and it could be that in fact – Donald Trump is actually running away with this race and that all the polls are wrong and that it's all about the biased media. And therefore, on November 8th, we're all going to be credibly surprised. But having been in politics for a while, that's that's very unlikely. Yes, pollsters got the Brexit 
vote wrong. And yes, pollsters got the Columbia referendum wrong. But it's unusual for the polling to be that far off. And when the Team Trump, when they go on TV and they talk, I saw Jason Miller, his spokesman, on TV, and he's talking. And, of course, once again, he's talking about Drudge. He's talking about the online polls. He's talking about those are not real polling. And, you know, there has to be some acknowledgement of what is actually going on. But there doesn't seem to. There seems to be Trump has retreated into a cocoon, if you will, a protective bubble of his supporters and his rallies and his just worldview that does not seem to be consistent with everybody else's. And that is, I think, for his supporters. And you look at interviews on people, supporters waiting in line. There's still thousands of them waiting in line. Now, of course, by the way, if there are 10,000 supporters going to a rally, that's amazing. You know, in the state of Pennsylvania. But remember, there are a lot more than 10,000 voters in the state of Pennsylvania. Just to have a lot of people online does not mean that you're going to run away with Pennsylvania on Election Day. But if everything you say and everything you do is reinforced by the people around you and everybody has the same view that the media is hopelessly biased and everybody, people like me, are hopelessly biased. I've had some emails and Messages to that effect that I'm hopelessly biased. As I said, I am not a Trump supporter. I'm not a Clinton supporter. I think both of them, and that's one of the things that just bothered me so much about this in trying not to think about this race. This race is so difficult for people in politics to want to deal with. It's so troubling because we have really gone to the bottom. It's a race to the bottom in so many ways that we don't this is not what we want from our politics this is not what we want for our country in so many ways we have just two of the most unpopular people that you can possibly imagine with so many negatives but i do think that at least the clinton camp acknowledges some of the realities that are going on you see some of the trump people on tv and they just don't want to admit that there is any issue, that Trump had any issues, that he didn't perform, even that he didn't perform well in the first debate. I think most of the people out there can acknowledge that he did not have a good debate, but not Trump supporters, not Trump. And nobody wants to acknowledge that there are problems with this video that surfaced. Nobody wants to acknowledge that Trump has problems with regard to taxes. They just don't want to acknowledge it. They don't want to feel that there's any issues, that this man somehow... And, you know, I think that's what comes down to the alt-right. It's the alternative. It's an alternative. It's not just the alt-right as in, you know, the alternative right wing. There's an alternative reality going on. That's the big problem because when reality actually hits, it's not going to be accepted by a lot of people. And that's a problem for our republic. You know, we have had 200-plus years of... Smooth transitions of democracy. Yes, the least smooth. I rem- I know we can remember back in 2000, Bush Gore, and a lot of people don't want to. A lot of people on the Gore side did not want to acknowledge the fact that Bush won. He stole the election, but we did have a smooth transition of power that Gore actually conceded. Now maybe you say he shouldn't have conceded, but he did, and he graciously allowed. A smooth transition of power. Will that happen here? 
Will a lot of people accept that? There are so many people who did not accept Barack Obama's legitimacy as president, Donald Trump being one of them. Now, as upset as I may have been back in 2008 that John McCain didn't win, who I thought was a far superior person and a far superior public servant, a far superior politician, I do think that the country needed a smooth transition of power, and we had that. Will that happen here? That's very, that's very troubling for a lot of people who are not willing to accept the fact. And I'm not saying anybody's going to win or anybody's going to lose. I'm not saying Donald Trump is going to lose. I have no idea. I mean, I, the only thing I keep saying is that he's running a terrible campaign. Terrible campaign. But I do think it is troubling when you think about it. When you think about it, that. We are headed towards a situation where there is just no common ground. There seems to be no understanding or at least a willful blindness, a willful ignorance to what we have talked about as a common ground as far as politics are concerned. And I will say this. We have to put country over party. We have to put country over politics. The country, the republic... The United States of America is important. And when we talked about the rig system, a rig system, the rig media, the rig votes, everything over and over and over, the idea that Hillary Clinton has to go to jail, it's, it's troubling. It, it's just not – well, there's just a lot of things. But let's turn for a second to a couple tidbits because um, this is, as I said, going to be a shortened show. A couple tidbits. Number one, very important article I thought – in Tablet Magazine by Yari Rosenberg, talked about – there was an article in Politico which uh, last week, which troubled me greatly, talked about the fact that the right – or sorry, the Jewish right, meaning conservatives like myself, had been silent about the rise of Trump. And I was kind of shocked by it because by Trump and his, you know, his anti-Semitism of certain supporters and outright bigotry of other supporters – and that he was troubled. But if you think about it, leading conservative Jewish intellectuals have really been leading the way against Trump. Bill Kristol, Brett Stevens, Dan Senor uh, have been the most consistent in the Never Trump column. So it's, it's a little bit surprising and shocking, if you will, for the liberal media to kind of have this narrative that Jews you know, should have been – Sounded the alarm with regard to Trump. Jews have been sounding the alarm with regard to Trump over the course of this campaign. Point number two here is uh, the RNC has not spent any money. That's a big zero, even though they say they're still fully supportive of Trump. They have spent no money on TV for no independent expenditures, nothing, zero on TV for Donald Trump. And... You know, it's hard to know what's going on. It's hard to know exactly where, you know, where things are in the Trump slash uh, RNC world because, you know, a lot of people ducked for cover with the revelations that with regard to certain comments that he made with regard to. But I will say um, it's a little bit difficult. It's going to be a little difficult for him to win in the end if Hillary Clinton is the one out there on air. Now, another tidbit, Utah, the state of Utah, rarely has any polling in the Republican race. I'm sorry, in the presidential race because it's the most Republican state in the country. It's the most Republican voting state in the country. A whopper of a poll 
came out, which has Hillary and Donald Trump tied at 26%, and Evan McMullen at 22% within the margin of error. Now, Evan McMullen, of course, is an independent uh, former CIA agent, very serious conservative. He's being touted as the conservative alternative to Trump. Now, why in Utah is he doing well when nobody else knows his name and probably a lot of people out there have never heard and this guy's running for president. He's not in the ballot in a lot of states. I don't think he's on the ballot in New York. But Evan McMullen is a Mormon uh, and is, I guess, very straight-laced enough for many of the Mormons in Utah to support. And that's what's going on right now in Utah. The fact is that Utah is now, according to some, a toss-up state. Now, it's, uh, now, of course, Mitt Romney has a lot of influence in Utah. There are others with a lot of influence in Utah. Donald Trump cannot afford to lose Utah and still win the presidency, as we talked about last week about his path to victory, which is narrow and very, very narrow. Now, Mormons are actually influential not just in Utah, although they're very, very numerous in Utah, but they're also influential in Nevada. They're also influential in Idaho. They're also influential in Arizona. And Arizona, of course, right now is a state where the Democrats are looking to put it in play. Now, what happens here with regard to the Senate? It's anybody's guess. Uh, if I, you asked me last week before the Trump revelations, I would say to you the Senate looked like it was going to go Republican. Now, it's hard to know. The polling is not baked in. But it's hard to know right now what is going to happen with the U.S. Senate. A lot of Democrats are kind of giddy. With regard to Trump, that and with the, I guess, the implosion of, uh, or sorry, the Republican infighting, that they are going to be able to put the House even in play, and that the Senate is go, is going to pretty go pretty solidly for the Democrats. It's hard to know. As I said, every day is a different news cycle, and there are not that many news cycles left. Remember, we're less than a month away from Election Day, less than four weeks away. Every news cycle that happens that is a negative one for Trump, or he's on the defensive. Let's just say it's not negative. Let's say I don't want to overplay this, but let's just say he's on the defensive. When he's on the defensive, it's a day he's not making gains where he needs to make gains. And that's the problem when it comes down to it. When you think about it, who won the debate? Let's get back to this question. Trump won the debate, I believe. I believe he he, he just out he outworked Clinton in the debate. Maybe it was a strategy on her part, but he definitely, I think, came away with the victory. But did he, in fact, convince anybody that he that he needed to convince that he should be president? I think for that, the answer is no. I don't think he got any closer to the presidency with a better debate performance for a whole host of reasons, mostly because I don't think he offered a sincere apology with regard to his lewd comments or offensive comments or, in fact, Potentially criminal comments. I mean, comments themselves are not criminal, but if the actions that he took behind those comments were, those, in fact, would be criminal. So the point here is, is that he needs to move the ball forward. It's just like any campaign. You need to start winning, and he's not winning. And that's the problem and reality that a lot of people out there seem to not want to accept and I think it's turning increasingly bitter on their side. And, you know, a lot of people are hoping for this October surprise. But let me just get back uh, to the, uh, my last point here is that particularly with regard to our community, with re- particularly with regard to the Orthodox Jewish community, I find it very troubling that so many people are willing to be dismissive of Trump's comments 
as saying, well, you know, look, we all know about him. We all, uh, we all knew what we were getting into. But in the end, Trump is better for Israel. And that's what's important. Now, I have to be honest uh, with total seriousness. And I am not a Hillary Clinton fan at all. I don't have any evidence to think whatsoever that I certainly don't think, number one, that Hillary would be as bad as Barack Obama because I don't think her history is that. But even if you accept that she's got to be more of the same, which I've Christ is very troubling, I have no – nothing assures me whatsoever that Donald Trump will have a good foreign policy. In fact, for Israel, particularly because he has embraced isolationism, American isolationism, and America firstism so thoroughly and seems to be embracing it more and more. That type of philosophy, that type of foreign policy, and his lack of foreign policy understanding, his lack of foreign policy experience, his lack of depth with regard to anything with regard to foreign policy is very, very troubling for me. And just because he's got a couple of people who are Jewish working for him, just because he has a Jewish son-in-law and daughter, that does not make him good for Israel. Now, you could say Hillary Clinton is the worst person ever for Israel. He's the worst person ever for the Jews. Okay, look, I think you can have legitimately say that. But that you should also – we also have to acknowledge that Donald Trump, we have no reason necessarily to think that or to know or to feel confident that he is going to put together or have a coherent foreign policy that is going to be positive for the Middle East, that's going to be positive for Israel. And I think, particularly with regard to the Syria question that we've seen, he just doesn't seem to understand. And he is on the side. He said it at the debate. He's on the side of Iran, that Iran is fighting ISIS, and we should be on their side. That Israel's greatest threat comes from Iran. It doesn't come from ISIS. It comes from Iran. And we should acknowledge and we should understand that that is a dangerous place to be. And why he's there, I have no idea. Why people – he is so in love with the Putin-Iranian Hezbollah access, access is very troubling to me and should be troubling to a lot of us. On the moral side, his comments, his statements, his total vulgarity should be very troubling for us, should be very troubling for our community and the way we want to bring up our children – it's the whole tone of the campaign, the whole tenor of the campaign. They're both reprehensible. I've always felt that Bill Clinton was a, a particularly, particularly despicable with regard to his actions. But Bill Clinton is not running. Donald Trump is running. And I think that it's very troubling for people to embrace him. And people have embraced him wholeheartedly, many people in our community. Um, you know, not to criticize anybody in particular. It's just, it's just a fact that we should not be running to somebody who has exhibited such vulgar uh, tendencies and such vulgar language and such vulgar, well, in, in many cases, just such troubling behavior in his past and doesn't really disavow it. In my mind, you're running for president. Locker room talk and locker room banter is just not part of it. And, uh, well, yes, he was not running for president. But yet, you know, remember, Donald Trump actually made made noises about running for president uh, in the 90s. So, you know, perhaps he should have been more careful with the things he says, uh, particularly and most troubling, 
about his daughter. So that's it for this week. I know it went a little longer than I was supposed to, or at least I thought I was going to, but there's so much to say, so much to talk about. We will we are off next week for Call Moed. Be back with two weeks left for election to talk about politics here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Josephs.